This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. Hey, everyone. Thanks for dropping in again to Changing Channels. As the lady said, I'm Larry Walsh. And uh, as a regular viewer of this podcast, or if you're just joining us, uh, you hear us talk about channels. Well, I get asked all the time, what is a channel? And over the last year, the pandemic, and I hate to say that there was a positive thing that came out of it, uh, but one of the positive things that came out of it was it gave me the opportunity to talk about uh, what a channel is. And how did that happen? Well, we ran out of toilet paper. And through the example, we were able to say to people, or I was able to say to people, it's like, look, everything goes through a channel. Toilet paper, which didn't show up in your supermarket shelves, had to come from somewhere. It was not just coming in from a manufacturer, nor did you buy from a manufacturer. Now, why do I bring this up now? Is because depending on what type of product you're, you're looking at, between 70 and 90% of everything that you touch came to you through a channel. And they come to you through various forms of sellers. So I'm the original uh, procurer of the raw materials, they go and sell it to a factory, to the distributors and the manufacturers that create a product, to the distributors that sell it downstream, to a reseller or retailer that ultimately give it to you. You know, so about 70 to 90% of everything we touch came through some form of a channel. And all of that product creates a dollar transaction amount with each time it gets handed off. And that's, you know, each handoff comes with a discount. Now, channel programs, we all know, have prescribed or set schedules of discounts for different types of partners. And you would think that by design, that should be the end of it, but it's not. As much as somewhere between, somewhere around 80% of all sales to the channel go through something called non-standard pricing or what many call special pricing. It's the extended discounts that come with selling or negotiating. So when partners get into competitive situations with their customers, in addition to the discounts that they get endemically by being part of a channel program, they then go to the manufacturer or the vendor and say, well, look, we need a little bit more in order to win the deal. Surprisingly, for some products, those special discounts will bring the strike price of a product through the channel down to as low as 20% of the original of the list price. So 80% off, we've seen them between 65 to 85%, but somewhere in that range, 60-80%. The reason why I bring this up is because we see this everywhere, which led me to the question, what does the actual price matter? What is that what what does it matter to have a list price in the first place when everything is going to get negotiated? And that's why I invited my friend, Mark Stiving, the chief pricing educator at Impact Pricing to join us to talk about this. And I got to tell you, Mark is one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to the entire art of pricing and pricing strategies. So with that, Mark, I want to invite you. Know, I want to thank you for uh, joining us here on Changing Channels. Thanks, Larry. It's going to be an interesting exploration of a topic. An interesting topic indeed. As everyone you know knows that that these are loosely scripted podcasts. This is not something that I, you know I have. I've come into this with only one agenda, which is to learn more about the art of pricing from you, Mark, and to share you know what you know, but also to answer that question: if we're going to discount the hell out of everything to the point of where you see the actual price being sixty to eighty percent off. What does that list price actually mean? Okay, so the question 
let's answer that question first. And then I want to talk about how we, how I see pricing through a channel and see if we can tie all this together. Sure. But the easiest thing to, to know when we think of what does a list price mean is in, in economics, we often call that a reference price. It's the price that someone has in their mind that says, oh, this is the most I would have to pay for this product. In the world of behavioral economics, people love gains. They love winning something. And the fact that I told you that this product is $100 and then you can buy it for $80, you saw that as a $20 discount. Uh, we actually call that transaction utility. You got utility, you got a positive benefit out of the fact that you paid less than the list price. And, and so just the act of having the list price helps us sell more product, even if we know we're gonna sell below that list price. There are some products, uh, for example, large ERP software. They sell, the manufacturer sells direct to the buyer and the average discount is probably 75% discounts, which says to you, no one's paying this price, but the procurement people know this is what we've got to go get to. And so they're driving that price down. Uh, and by the way, procurement people also get bonuses based on the size of the discounts they give or they're able to achieve. And so for these reasons, having a list price makes a lot of sense, even if people aren't buying at that price. Yeah. So, and I understand that because the way I like to describe it is that you have your list price or your what your reference what you describe as a reference price. You have the floor price, which is also the the opposite end of that spectrum, which is the lowest you can sell it for. And then somewhere in the middle, you have your strike price, which is what you actually sell it for. And I, which is great. I mean, that gives us a good spectrum of defining what the price you know, the pricing ranges should be. What I want to hear from you now, though, is since you brought up the economics of wanting people wanting to win, which is actually also psychological, is is that reference price more a reflection of the value or just the starting point for starting a negotiation? Let's say the answer to that is yes. It is actually okay. both of those things. If I'm setting a list price for my product, I am setting it. But by the way, when I think of a list price, I'm thinking of the end customer price. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking of the price that I'm going to sell to a distributor at mm -hmm. or to a channel member at. So when I set a list price, I'm out looking at what is what do I think my buyer is willing to pay? And then once I understand that and their willingness to pay is a function of what is my competitor's price? It is often, it often makes a ton of sense to go say, what's my competitor's list price? Because I want my list price to be competitive relative. Maybe I want a more expensive price. Maybe I want a less expensive price, but I want it to be relative to that competitor's list price. Now, if people are looking at my list price and their list price, they're seeing the prices the way I want them to see them as me more expensive or me less expensive. And then after discounting behavior, I would assume or expect that their discounting behavior is going to be relatively consistent. My discounting behavior is going to be relatively consistent. And so we'll have a relative position in the market anyway, even after discounts. Well, that sounds a whole lot of like game theory going on that actually results in a zero sum game for everyone. So why do we go through the, the why do we go through the gamemanship of all of that if we know that we're just going to end up equalizing? 
I think we're back to the issue of uh, reference prices. And I know that you'd rather buy my product if you're going to get a discount. So let's say we'll just make up some numbers for a second. Let's say that we know that the end customer is going to buy, buy it at $50. And so you decide you're going to list your product for $50 and that's what they know they're going to buy it for. I list my product at a hundred bucks, but I give you a 50% discount. The act of doing that means the buyer sees my product as higher quality. They see that they get a win because they're getting a discount. So they get transaction utility from it. Even if our products are identical, my product will outsell your product dramatically. But we go through this process now of where we, we take that into consideration when the pricing is happening. And obviously when we're going through distribution or channels or the, you know, the one or two tier uh, channel, we already prescribe discounting relative to the customer and relative to the to the partner so that there is some level of incentive for the customer there is definitely an incentive for the partner so that they can be able to make money in the in the transaction but then we go into that what i was describing is that special pricing to where we go beyond that discounting which brings the price down even further is that diluting it? Is, are we, do we put ourselves at that point in a position of diluting the value or making or educating the customer to the point of where they actually know that they're going to be able to drive their price down? Yes, I think what happens now, let's talk about pricing for a distributor for a second. And the way I think about pricing for a distributor is the first thing I have to do is I have to set my end customer price. This is the price I think you should be selling it to the end customer. And then I say, how much of a discount do I have to give you to motivate you to sell my product, to motivate you to carry my product or push my product instead of my competitor's product, uh, to maybe put extra effort behind my product. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get you motivated? And so when I think of the price to the distributor, I actually think about what's the margin that I need to give them to excite them, to make them willing to work for me. So let's say that we come up with a margin number and we say it's 22 points of margin. Uh, life is good. We set it. We set our, our prices to the distributor at 22 points off of what we think they're going to sell to the end customer. Now what happens is a distributor who hopefully has a huge database, they're coming to us and saying, oh, I've got this one really large customer. They need a bigger discount. Can you give me 40 points of margin because I'm actually going to sell to, to them at a big discount? And we say, yes, we can do that. And what happens from this point forward is that distributor now knows I'm willing to go to 40%, 40 points off of that list price. They're using that information every time they call me to say, oh, my customer needs a 40 point discount. Oh, my customer needs a 40 point discount until they decide to push it and say, what about 45 points? Maybe I need a 45 point discount. Right. The, the real problem we have selling through distribution is that our distributors are very, very knowledgeable about our the manufacturer's pricing. Uh, they've seen historical pricing and they have this ability to drive our price down over time. The problem that we as manufacturers have is that we don't have the guts to truly understand the value of our products and hold our prices. It's way too easy to say yes to a distributor who asks and, uh, and it's scary to say no. When you say they don't have the guts, where does that, that lack of, I, I describe that as a lack of discipline. And you're right, is that there is a test that comes with every time you go into pricing. 
and I'm sure that both distributors and resellers know when they go into that conversation with the vendor that they know which customers that they can push that button on or they can push that line a little bit further than they would with others that there's various deal sizes where they know they can get the, the, the manufacturer's attention versus smaller deals. But still, there is all this negotiation that's going on and there's not a lot of discipline. Is that a lack of, when you say they don't have the guts, is that a lack of, of discipline or is a lack of what we would once call salesmanship or sales skills, or is it something else that just says that they, you know, they're just afraid of, of losing the opportunity and ultimately losing the revenue? Yeah, if we step away from distribution and just talk about any price discount for a second, a customer comes and asks us for a discount, we have to understand what are the decisions that buyer is making. If they don't buy from me, what are they going to buy from? How much is that going to cost? And if we truly have a great understanding of the value of our option versus the value of our competitors' options, we can relatively confidently say, no, I'm not willing to give you that huge discount. But that so rarely happens that salespeople want to give that discount because they're afraid of losing the deal. They don't want to lose the deal. And I get that completely. We don't want them to lose the deal. In the world of distribution, what we really need is we need to make sure we're getting the point of sale data. I need to know that if you ask me for a discount for Rockwell, that you actually shipped the product to Rockwell and that they paid you the price that you told me that, that you were going to charge them. And if we can start collecting and watching what our distributors are truly doing relative to what they've asked for, then at least we know they're not gaming us, they're not playing us. And we have them as partners as opposed to competitors in that zero sum game you were talking about. Yeah. You know, I think, but getting that information is really difficult because they consider that to be their data, not yours. I mean, they bought the product from you. You are the one, you know, they're now selling it on to their customer there's a there's a huge gap between uh, in terms of what you know these different entities are willing to share in that go to market chain uh, and i hear this from the companies that we work with is that they want to be able to see that they want to have that transparency so that they're not saying you know shaving off you know a certain percentage of whatever their purchases and building a cheap inventory that they then sell later on at their own lower prices Yes, I'm fortunate to have been involved in a couple industries where they actually do get point of sale data and they do give individual discounts for customers and they get to see how that whole thing flows through. The key to those is the manufacturer doesn't go out and try to steal the customer. Yeah. Right? The manufacturer is saying, look, I'm just here to, to support you and see what's really happening and give you the prices that you need as long as we're truly winning those. But I think if the distributor isn't willing to share that level of information, then as a manufacturer, my expectation is they're they're buying more volume at the price that they wanted, the discounted price they wanted, so that they can sell it at list price to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And now they're making more margin on my product than what we had agreed was a fair number. Yeah. Somebody uh, asked me once, what do I charge for my services? And I jokingly said, well, we started a billion dollars, but we can always negotiate. Uh, <laughs> and, and the reason why I bring the reason why I share that, and yes, everyone, it's a joke. I don't charge a billion dollars for anything. Uh, but there is a there there is a temptation to overinflate that overinflate that reference price so that you can overinflate the discounts. 
So is there a danger in that? Is that to, to overextend that that list price or that that top line price? So that even though you everyone knows you're going to discount and you're going to negotiate, that you actually might price yourself out of the out of the conversation entirely. Um, absolutely. So we're back to the issue that says, let's say that I have a hundred dollar list price and you have a fifty dollar list price. If somebody's just looking at list prices, your product looks like it's half half the price of mine. And so mine looks way too expensive. It had better be a really good product, even though I'm willing to discount it to, to 50 points. The key here from what I've seen is different industries essentially have standard discounts that they go with. Um, and so think about buying a car. Every time we go buy a car, I, as a consumer, it's one of the few things that we negotiate for, but we rarely pay list price for a car. We walk in the door and we start the negotiations. And, and if we're any good, we've, we've actually looked at the invoice price and say, how close can I get to the invoice price? So we have some target for ourselves. And that difference between invoice and list price then is kind of the standard industry discount that they would expect to be giving. And that's true for almost every industry you can look at. So Mark, we're seeing a lot of shift in terms of the buying patterns and a lot more of the sales cycle. And this has been going on for years, but it's accelerating, but the sales cycle doesn't start when you, when a buyer reaches out to a seller, the sales cycle starts somewhere back with the search engine of Google, some influence that exactly as you said, they're already researching before they get to a salesperson. The shift to online selling, the shift to marketplaces is somewhat having an impact on or at least perceivably should be having an impact on that. Uh, how does setting prices online differ than saying the, the having the price book that the only the salesperson had access to uh, for the, you know, in the, in the traditional way of selling, how does that change in terms of setting pricing and pricing strategies? So the key difference is when you have a salesperson, the salesperson theoretically is there to negotiate price. They're there to be able to discern what's your willingness to pay and how do I get as close to that as I possibly can. When we go online, uh, one of two things is happening. Either we're delivering the exact same price to every customer, or we've got some type of algorithm that we've created that says, if you use a Mac, you pay a higher price than if you use a PC. Um, and, and so we've, we've collected some data to try to estimate your willingness to pay and we set different prices around that data. Uh, it could be regional, it could be, um, uh, as I said, the type of computer you use, it could be what's in your cookies. Mark, you actually have you know, a new book out, I failed to say this earlier, but you have a new book out called When Keep Grow, How to Price and Package to Accelerate Your Subscription Business. Uh, it's actually out on, uh, on Kindle, uh, out on Audible and coming out on hardcover in, in October, correct? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the book and what do you mean by being able to price and package for subscriptions? As I've talked about this book, uh, after writing it, I realized that there's really three huge frameworks that we've written into the book that are very powerful for anybody who's trying to do, uh, let's just call it recurring revenue, not even subscriptions. The first one is the title of the book, Win, Keep, Grow. And that is we have to win customers, we have to keep customers, and we have to think about how to grow customers. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase land and expand. Uh, so the expand part is the growing customers. A lot of companies give that lip service. Very few companies actually go do that and do that well. 
Uh, the second framework that's in the book, which I, I find amazingly powerful, are these three value levers that we as companies have to figure out how much value can we deliver and capture from our marketplace. And those three value levers are what's the market segment you're going to go after? How clearly can you define that? How do you package the features you've got into options or offers? And in most cases, we create good, better, best type packaging. And then the third one, which is really powerful, especially when you get to the SaaS world, and that's what's the pricing metric. And pricing metric is simply what do we charge for? In the world of distribution or the world of physical goods, what we charge for is almost always the physical good. And so that's an easy one. But as soon as you move to software or data or something else, suddenly there's many, many different things we could charge for, like clicks or gigabytes or throughput or um, uh, eyeballs. There's lots of things that we can we can charge on from that perspective. Yeah. The well, third framework, which I find really powerful, is uh, I said we, we think about land and expand, but we don't really spend any time on expand. Well, how do you do the expand part? How do you grow a customer? And there's really four ways that you can grow a customer. And when you step back and think about it, then you're like, oh, I got it. I got to go do these. You could raise prices because they're buying from us over and over again. Uh, you could get them to upgrade. So if you've built good, better, best, they could move from good to better, better to best. Uh, you could cross sell. So you could sell them something else in your portfolio. And usage is the fourth one. And usage comes about if you've chosen the right pricing metric, then as people use more of your product, they get more value from your product, they end up paying you more money, which is exactly what we want. And possibly the best example of usage and a value metric that I could think of is a credit card fee for a retailer, right? I, I wanna pay a million dollars in credit card fees because that, may, that meant I, meant I made $50 million in revenue and I'm totally okay with that. Right. So, you know, one of the things that does come up, though, when we start talking about subscriptions, particularly for cloud services or managed services, they come with renewals. Those renewal events create that opportunity for that, that expand of the land and expand the equation you're describing. Um, but it's also an opportunity to rethink the pricing because those early discounts no longer seem applicable, or at least so it seems. You know, we hear this a lot from from the technology companies is that okay, well, that renewal should be automatic. Um, it doesn't because the customer's already engaged. We've already won the business. Now it's time to roll back some of that discounting, or if not all of that discounting. And what we hear from the sellers is that that's perceived as a price increase. So how is, you know, there's two, you know, two ends of this question. I'm going to start with this one is that, is that an effective strategy to say that, you know, there is no need for that discounting at that point that we can start to inch back towards that reference price you talked about? Uh, absolutely. Yes. And it doesn't matter to me if you want to call it a reduction in discount, or if you just want to call it a price increase, either way is totally fine. And here's why that's, here's why that works so well. When somebody first buys your subscription, they're using something we'll call perceived value. They're using their belief or perception of how much value your product can deliver to them. Once they've adopted your product, they built it into their workflow, they now know the value. They've got real value associated with it. And so they've, they have a higher willingness to pay because they understand the value they're getting. The second piece of that is switching costs are probably huge and it's really hard for companies to switch away from you once they've gotten into your platform using your product. 
For both of those reasons, there's lots of room for us to raise prices or reduce uh, discounts if that's the way you want to look at it. Yeah. And so is that, should that also be part of the strategy ultimately is that over time that, that, the manufacturers or software publishers or cloud providers that they should be looking towards the over the lifetime of the engagement of inching back or reclaiming that that discounting or that lost margin let me say yes but i'll say that the other growth metrics or the other growth levers are probably stronger than just increasing prices um, the fact that I could get you to to upgrade from a, a low level package to a mid level package, and I can raise your price dramatically when I do that, that's going to make much more revenue for me than raising your price five points or 10 points uh, year after year. Um, so yeah. I, I would be thinking about those other levers way more than I'd be thinking about how do I increase price. Yeah. Is there, you know, in a and when we're talking about discounting, because I, like there's something that's appealing to me about, you know, just, you know, just right pricing. I get this question often, can't we get to first time right pricing or just, or just right pricing? Can we just set a price and use something else as the alternative to, you know, to deep discounting to win business? I don't know what that means. That's the hard part. Right. I don't know what a just right price means. Uh, the, you brought up zero sum game and price is the one thing that is truly zero sum between two um, in a transaction. Uh, because both of us would love, let's say that you're my customer, you would love it if I could deliver more value to you. And I would love it if I could deliver more value to you because you would value my product more and you'd probably be willing to pay more. So we're both trying to drive value up but when it comes to the price, I want to drive the price up. You want to drive the price down. That's where the zero sum game comes in. And yeah. so what's the right price? Is it halfway between my willingness to accept and your willingness to pay? And how do we know what those two numbers are? I just, I, I don't know what a just right price means. Yeah, no, it's a fair, you know, like, and honestly, I don't know what it is either because you know, just getting to that right price, that first time, you know, because it's often a goal to simplify pricing, to get to that, that, that right price the first time you touch it, it seems like such an elusive target because we know that there's always going to be pushback. Yeah, customers are always asking for discounts, no matter what happens. Uh, yeah. Let's pretend... Let's pretend that you actually do say, I want to come up with the just right price. And you set your price at $100. You take it into a customer that's going to buy a million of those. And the last thing they're going to do is buy a million of them at 100 bucks. They're going to negotiate. They're going to drive for a discount. Uh, and so that just right price just went out the window. Yeah. yeah. Mark, it's great having you on talking about this. You also have your own podcast, which I say I've been on it. When, you know, where can we find that? Uh, wherever any podcasts are, are shown but it's the name of it is impact pricing excellent and your book again is coming out the win keep grow will be coming out in hardcover in early october but you can get it early digitally and audibly today so everybody should go check that out mark Steven, who is the chief pricing educator at impact pricing thanks for joining us again on changing channels hey, i i really appreciate you sharing your insights on you know what this means in terms of old the relation of setting prices to discounts and how you know this is always going to be a game that we're going to have to play in perpetuity it has been a fascinating conversation too made, made me think
Very good. Thanks again, Mark. And thanks everybody for joining in for another episode of Changing Channels. Stop in again next time. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics, with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of and Changing Channels is copyright by 2112 Enterprises, LLC.